Thank you, Jesus. Awesome. You can be seated tonight in Jesus' name. I am so thankful that you all are here to learn of these lessons with us in Jesus' name. We had a, a wonderful lesson last time, and this one's just going to continue forward with, with a lot of those topics and those subjects in Jesus' name of learning how to love. And that is a, a wonderful characteristic of a disciple that we learned last time, if not the, the most important characteristic of being a disciple in Jesus' name. And so we, uh, we definitely will uh, dive into that tonight. But before we do that, just a few quick announcements. If you uh, are part of the text group, you will see that I accidentally sent the text out a little early this week in Jesus' name. I did not mean to do that. It was supposed to be scheduled for this Friday. But when I hit the schedule button, it just decided to send it. So I can honestly claim it was not my fault, but the app decided to go forward with that. So um, anyway, we do have a ladies' meeting on Saturday at 2. We have a men's meeting Saturday at noon. And then we have prayer Saturday at 5. So noon, 2 o'clock, and 5 o'clock on Saturday. If you can remember those things, you're certainly all welcome to come and participate with us and enjoy food and participate in whichever group you may fit into in Jesus' name. And continue to pray for Sister Carnahan. Yes, at 5 o'clock. Yes. In Jesus' name. And continue to pray for uh, Sister Carnahan. She is getting better, but is still not 100%, so we can believe in Jesus' name that she will be with us in these next coming days. And uh, we, we want Sister Carnahan to be back. We miss you, Sister Carnahan, very much so, if she's listening to this. So in the church, these people said amen, if you didn't hear that. So, yes, amen. So awesome. But those are the things that we have coming up. And so... We're going to dive into this lesson here tonight. There's really quite a bit inside of it. If you wanted to expand the, the characteristics of love and what love can impact, you truly, again, can just expand it for years and years in sort of Bible studies and things like that. Um, but we, we can't spend all of our time on this specifically alone. But tonight, I think it's going to challenge us, encourage us to, be, um, to show more love towards people around us, to be better lovers towards one another. And, uh, and God will absolutely honor that as we learned last time. So if we turn to some scripture here in 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 7, it says this, Charity, which again we said was love, suffereth long and is kind, it, em it doesn't envy. Charity vaunteth not itself and is not puffed up. It doeth not behave itself unseemingly, seeketh not her own, and it is not easily provoked. It thinks no evil. Rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in truth. Beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, and endureth all things. And if you read this uh, scripture here, you will see that this is given in wedding vows many different times when people are brought together in the unity of, of marriage. And that's because there's some powerful things that God is saying in these statements here. But he didn't just mean for this to be in marriage alone, but he's meant for it to be uh, inside of our lives as a Christian towards other people around us as well in Jesus' name. And so we're going to learn how we can better show that love to one another tonight and how love may not always be the thing that you think it is uh, when, when we are, are speaking to our brothers and sisters in Jesus' name. So it says this, he did not start as a miracle worker, a great teacher, or a preacher. He was not known for his dynamic leadership, and he didn't have a great following. In fact, our first glimpse of this unassuming yet greatly influential character is when he received a name change. He was born Joseph, a Levite, but there was something so powerful, powerfully notable in his character that he earned a nickname by the apostles. Nicknames can be a good thing or a bad thing, and we've all had the hulking male or heard of the, the hulking male nickname, Tiny, or perhaps the snotty-nosed grade school child cruelly called Booger. But Joseph, however, was nicknamed Encourager, well, Barnabas to be exact. Joseph became known as Barnabas the Encourager in Acts chapter 4. The reasons for this nickname became clear in Acts chapter 9 when another man who later became an apostle tried to join the believers in Jerusalem. Saul of Tarsus, an early persecutor of Christians, had been converted and began preaching the gospel. The Jerusalem Christians, however, were a bit skeptical and afraid of Saul due to his vicious past. Barnabas, the encourager, the peacemaker, did what he was gifted to do. He stepped in, vouched for Saul, and encouraged the believers to receive him. 
That's just the kind of person Joseph's nickname Barnabas was. It is interesting that years later, Barnabas found himself in another strained and awkward situation. His cousin, John Mark, had joined Saul, also known as Paul, on a missionary journey. Sometime during the journey, and for an unexpected reason, John Mark decided to return home to Jerusalem. Interestingly, he returned to the place where years before Barnabas had vouched for and encouraged Paul. This departure, however, did not sit well with Paul, so much so that when John Mark wanted to join Paul and Barnabas on a future missionary journey, Paul wanted nothing to do with Silas, and Barnabas went with Mark. Or sorry, nothing to do with him. The disagreement was so strong that they departed each other's company. Paul went with Silas, and Barnabas went with Mark. The Apostle Paul, in all of his greatness, apparently lost sight of Barnabas' encouragement and vouching for him in spite of his past. Of course, each went on to do great things, and many lives were impacted through their ministries. Thankfully, Barnabas did not stop being Barnabas when it came to John Mark. The result was that the gospel according to Mark is now a part of the Bible we read. And years later, an aging apostle Paul would remark, Take Mark and bring him with you, for he is profitable for me in the ministry. And you can see that in the book of 2 Timothy. But it's an incredible story when you begin to decipher it and begin to look through this, that Paul was greatly upset that John Mark had returned home for whatever reason. And he said, I want nothing to do with him when John Mark came back a couple years later and said, let's go on this missionary journey now I'm ready for this. And Paul said, no, I will have nothing to do with him. And Paul and Barnabas got in a little bit of a disagreement over it. And Barnabas finally just said, well, I will take John Mark, you take Silas, and we'll split and we'll go our, our different directions. It's interesting when you begin to think about this from the standpoint that Paul was this significant person in the New Testament, this guy who was you know, initially persecuting the church, but then he was converted, and he began to write many of the books that we see in the New Testament, this incredible guy who, who was doing all of these things, but for some reason he could not get over his issues with John Mark enough to where he could go out and, and preach the gospel. And, and we don't know the exact details. We don't know everything that was behind it. And so I trust that what Paul did, he tried to do the right thing at that particular point in time. But then you see that later on that that Paul addresses this and says, well, Mark, he is actually a good guy. He has done well now. And as a result, he's somebody who is good for the ministry and and good for these things here. So you you see these couple different aspects. But on the the flip side, one thing that I want to point out with this is that John Mark, even though he was pointed out by somebody who was an amazing person, even though he was pointed out by Paul and Paul said, I don't want to go with him, I don't want anything to do with him, I don't want a part of him, any of that sort of stuff, John Mark didn't go and give up everything and run to the corner and start crying in the corner and say, man, God has given up on me and and, and all this sort of stuff, and so I'm just going to go and give up on the church and walk away from the church because somebody hurt my feelings and all this sort of stuff. John Mark didn't say that. He said, okay, well, Barnabas, if you're ready to go with me, then I'm going to grab your hand and we'll run into this thing together. He was willing to do that. And so you see these different things. Maybe Paul didn't say what he was supposed to say at that circumstance. I'm not saying what Paul did was right. I, I don't know. I haven't seen enough detail to begin to significantly explore that. But what I can say is that there was enough there for John Mark to run to the corner and cry and give up on everything around there and use that as an excuse. But he didn't. He did what was right. He did what God wanted him to. And I think there's a great example inside of this story that not only are we to love one another and encourage one another, but also if somebody offends us, we're not meant to just run and hide or or cry or or whatever. I mean, those sort of things. We may be upset, but let's address it in a brotherly, loving way. Let's, Let's speak to one another. Let's keep coming to church. Let's keep feeling the presence of God because to give up on God because of something that our brother did to us is is just it's it's ludicrous it's something that we shouldn't have a part of because we're serving him and not these people around us in Jesus name but these people even if everybody else around us told us that we looked absolutely horrible and and we're completely hypocritical and stuff like that that doesn't mean that he is or doesn't mean that he had a part of that or that he represents any piece of that in Jesus name so we must think of him first as the loving one and then we must begin to show that to one another and we can see how hard we can make it and how difficult we can make it for people if we don't truly decide to love them but we will have disagreements as we will learn in this lesson here tonight in Jesus name 
So to be a disciple of Jesus is to love and encourage your brothers and sisters in the Lord. To love each other and encourage each other in the Lord. The benefits are wide-ranging inside of the church. It gives us a community, a place where we can come together, fellowship, see others lift their hands, and praise the Lord and that, that sort of thing. But along with the benefits, there's also many challenges that come with relationships that we begin to get involved with. The closer we work with and do life with others, the more exposed we are to their personality and to their character flaws. And I think we can all testify that the closer we get to somebody, the more we begin to see those flaws that we maybe thought were never there before, or those personality traits that we thought might have never been there before. And they can be very, very difficult sometimes when we begin to come up against them, especially if we disagree about some things. I love being in the outdoors, but there's other people who definitely don't like going out and sleeping in a tent and that sort of stuff who completely disagree with that. And we could have a complete headbutting over that and, and get upset and blow up and walk away from each other over disagreement and personalities. But is that really what, what God would want? To, something as silly as that. Now, if it's a doctrinal issue, we might have a little bit more of a disagreement where we're going to have to address some things and figure out what does the, the, the gospel truly say about this. Let's go into the scripture and dig deep to figure these things out. But if something, if, if something else about your favorite color or, or your favorite type of music or whatever, th those sort of things, we can work through that stuff. We can learn to live with one another and all those things there. And I think those of you who are married in here, you understand that very much so, that a lot of love is just learning to, to deal and, and cope with what another person is bringing into the room and stuff. You're not going to completely get rid of them and change them into what you want them to be, but, but you have to learn to accept them as who they are. And we have to do that as brothers and sisters as well. And it can become even more challenging than this if we think about it, because if it became to a place where we were persecuted as Christians and we truly had to fight alongside one another, then we're going to be in the midst of one another a lot more than we are now and rubbing skin and things like that. And there's going to be some friction there, but we have to be careful with that friction. And we have to let love come in the place of that so that there, we can overcome that friction of just the silly things in Jesus' name, and that will help us reach the world around us. It, it's so upsetting to see sometimes when people have just powerful churches, but yet they, they decide to let little frictions come between them in, inside of those churches there and that sort of stuff. Or there's a forward momentum, and I've found this in leadership and being on district teams and national teams and apostolic youth corps, where you start to make this incredible momentum where God is just doing powerful things, not, not just because of me and the people around me, but, but just, uh, I mean, the, the group is unified and doing some incredible things, but there's always got to be the one that stands there and begins to stand back and, and say, well, you know, something about something, something. And, and it's just like, why, why would you let that get in the way of what God is doing? Let's just let love come in this place. And if God's doing something great over here, let's let it blossom and bloom and, and go to an incredible place. And if he isn't doing something over here, then let's start digging up the soil and let's start planting some seed and seeing some things happen in Jesus' name. And so what we must learn is something that's in 1 Corinthians 13 and 4, is that love suffers long and it is kind. It suffers long and it is kind. Christ-like love is both patient and it's also kind. And so what that scripture is telling us, it suffers long, means that it doesn't just give up at the snap of a finger and that sort of thing, but it's willing to go the extra lengths to hold us together inside of situations that we may be going through. In Jesus' name. And so loving other disciples of Jesus is a commandment lived out by doing and not feeling. And we, this is somewhat a review from last time, and that's why I'm, I'm somewhat jumping through it fairly quick here today. But it's about doing and, and not just feeling inside of our hearts. We, we understood last time that if we went solely off of feelings, then man, this thing would just be destroyed and completely flipped upside down and that sort of thing. But Jesus was the one who showed us that you must do in your love, that, that he, he came down here on this earth. He died on a cross for us. He took that crown of thorns for every single one of us. He was willing to come down and teach and deal with people who were complete knuckleheads around him. And he was willing to do with, with all their personality traits and all the things that these different disciples and apostles brought around him and all this riffraff that they brought around him. He, he was willing to deal with all of that to show and demonstrate his love. 
And when we begin to think about that inside of this world, we can begin to think, man, maybe some of those people that I've had very short patience with, I need to begin to extend my patience just a little bit longer because what if it's that, that message that really begins to cause them to learn about Jesus or experience who he is or, or experience his love or his Holy Ghost or those things that are there. And so scripture it says this here on the screen. But it says, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another as I have loved you, and that you also love one another. Kind of repeating some things there again. Commandment, love one another as I have loved you. And this is Jesus speaking, as I have loved you. Love has to be intentional, and you do not fall into Christian love. You walk into it. You step into it. You move into that place where you can begin to love other people around you. And it begins to open amazing doors. I can tell you that even just stepping in foot in this new workplace for just three days, that, that today walls were just beginning to open up. Doors were beginning to open up already. And it was just from doing this simple thing of just saying, hey, how are you today? How is your day going today? My name's this. And every day you walk in the door, and man, even if I'm having a rough morning, good morning. Like, it's so good to see you today. I, I'm, I'm excited. You know, and, and that's all you got to say. But then the conversation started, and you begin speaking about, well, what are you doing after work tonight? And all these other things, well, I'm going to church. I mean, you can open the door in so many different ways when you just begin to show people just a little bit of love or a little peace around that. And when they see that you have a smile on your face, even when you're going through the, the craziest thing inside of your life, you can be, they'll begin to ask you why, why you have that smile on your face. And so it's intentional. It's something that we don't just fall into, but it's something that we have to take action upon. We have to begin to move and do some incredible things with it in Jesus' name and let him work through us. So it says this here. One key way of loving other disciples is demonstrated through fellowship. One key way of loving other disciples, it's demonstrated through fellowship. So let me ask you this question here today. One key, or sorry, why is fellowship so important in being a disciple of Jesus? Why do you think fellowship is so important to being a disciple? I was going to ask the question because we spoke about that last time, if anybody remembered it. That that's how they know who we are, by our love one to another. Yes. Amen. Anybody else have an answer there? Yes, sister. I think my life is better. <laughs> <laughs> mine, mine is just that uh, we're all members of the body of Christ. Yeah. Like you were saying about making sure that we're here to be a complementary <coughs> and that this, this body, this bride, we have to you know, be together to protect mm. and protect it from being any other ways. Absolutely. Yes, one body. Amen. Anybody else? Why fellowship is so important? Yes, absolutely. Just being obedient. Amen. It really is. And, and Nathan Thompson says this so many different times, but my, my goodness, you look at movies and you look at the things and, and what Hollywood portrays and that sort of thing, and what does it say about men? It says, well, you got to be this gunslinging solo person that you go out there and you save the world all by yourself and then you come back and, and you're good to go and then you go out there and save it and it's only you, yourself, and I. and it, You know, you, you don't have a team and none of that sort of stuff. you got to do it all by yourself. But that's completely contradictory to what the, the Scripture says, that the Scripture's talking 
about fellowship and how we need fellowship, how we need one another, and how when we miss this, when we miss these, these uh, events, not, not just church here, but when we miss prayer meetings together, when we miss fellowships together, when we're constantly skipping those things or, or we leave them for entire time periods at, at a time, we're, we're risking so much when we're doing that because we're not able to show that fellowship or that love one to another in Jesus' name. And we must be incredibly careful with that. And so it says this, that fellowship should be prioritized. Um, you all hit the, the keynote, why, why we need to be fellowshipping and that sort of thing, but it's something that needs to be prioritized inside of our lives. And believe me, I'm, I'm one of those that struggles with this sort of thing because it ultimately, and it may not look like it since I'm up here speaking to you all, but I, I am more of an introverted person. I was when I was younger. I didn't have many friends. I spoke to very few people. I just went through school, got my day done. When my day was over, I went home and I did my own thing, either with my brother or by myself. And I enjoyed doing that sort of thing. And I still do. I enjoy going on hikes by myself and, and all that sort of thing because that's just who I am. For me, conversations are something that I have, to, I have to try at to have a conversation with somebody. And if you have ever seen that about me or talked with me, you will understand that and see that a little bit more. But the only reason I'm able to do this up here is because of the anointing of God and he has said this is going to happen. And I didn't want to run from it like Jonah and that sort of stuff. But, but this is something that I have to work on. And I'm just giving you an example that, that I have to prioritize this with people if I want to have a conversation with them. Because I would rather just go sit in a room back there by myself and not have a conversation with anybody. And I'd be completely satisfied with that. But that's not what the scripture says. That's not what scripture says is good. And in reality, when I do have conversations with people around me and with the church and that sort of thing, then, then it does build me and it builds that other person as well. We can work together to show that love one for another because it is so dangerous to be a lone ranger out there in this world by, by ourselves. We need God and we need one another. The scripture makes that clear. We need church and we need people around us. We can't just have a, a solo lifestyle or be living on, on church on, on live stream and not be able to fellowship with anybody. That, that's, that's not scriptural. That's not good. That's not godly if we're looking at what God desires from us. And so this says this. This was interesting. It says, with new technology and conveniences, we have largely become an antisocial and lonely society. In his book, 12 Ways Your Phone is Changing You, Tony Ranke states, smartphones and social media were supposed to be the cure to the epidemic of loneliness. We would all be connected, and none of us would ever feel alone. But the harsh truth is that we can always be lonely, even in a crowd, and now even more so in a digital crowd. Katie Kirok warned in Time Magazine article, she said this, constant connectivity can lead to you feeling isolated and disconnected. Do not be seduced by the false intimacy of social media. It sucks us in, and we spoke about that in lessons in the past, so I'm not going to dive into that deeply, but it's a false sense of love when we're getting all of our love and our social um, interaction from social media. It is a terrible thing to be doing, and we have to be so careful with that if we are doing that in Jesus' name. I'm not here to make anybody feel bad about that, but I'm just saying that, that we risk so much. We, we're risking falling off a cliff if we haven't seen it yet in some of those things in Jesus' name. So being a disciple, it mandates fellowship with other Christians. If we want to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, it mandates that we have fellowship with other Christians. It says this is a purpose, and we're going to get into some scripture here that shows and proves this and the reasoning why tonight. But it says we must have these things if we're going to be Christians. And although church services are a vital part of Christian development, deep relationships are rarely formed in a church service like this. I mean, we're in an environment here, and I'm speaking to you, and you all are sitting there, and we're able to get some responses back and that sort of thing, and we're building some relationship here, but it truly isn't a deep relationship like we would have if we're going to uh, sit down at a dinner table and just have a conversation or something like that. You can begin to see why home Bible studies and, and teaching people about the Word of God or being willing to speak to people face-to-face -face rather than through social media, it's so essential because it truly will begin to connect with them on a deeper level. You'll be able to connect with them on a deeper level, but God will also come into that place and connect with them on a deeper level in some senses in Jesus' name. And so it says this here again in the scripture. It says that let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works. 
let us consider one another to provoke unto love and unto good works. It also says in Hebrews 10.25, not forsaking the assembly of ourselves together as the manner of some, some is, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching, talking about the end times. We have to exhort one another. These scriptures, again, over and over and over again, are talking about encouraging one another, about being there to, to push us through, through the next level. There's testimonies that go forward in this place. There's, there's things that people bring up, issues that maybe somebody else is having at that particular point, and the testimony just begins to speak to them and says, man, I can make it through this as well, or I can step over these things. It begins to show why relationships and love and being around one another is so important inside of the church in Jesus' name, why it's so important in what we do and everything that is around us in Jesus' name. We can't waste time when we're around one another. But sometimes in these things that we have to realize that tough love is going to come as a result of loving one another. There's times that it comes from this platform down to you all, but there's times that it's between you all as well, that we as brothers and sisters, and, and when we dive in these these scriptures it'll begin to make a little bit more sense but we as brothers and sisters are, are going through situations and sometimes we can see things that somebody else doesn't see they say that when we look at ourselves in the mirror we completely see a different person than everybody else sees that we see ourselves how we want to see ourselves in that mirror and that ultimately everybody else sees us a completely different way it, it's a crazy thing when you begin to think about it actually brother capitella who spoke here did a fast from mirrors because of that. He, he fasted from mirrors for, for a few months, and, and he, he said it was the craziest thing because he's like, I didn't know what I looked like. I just thought I, I looked a certain way, but he's like, you know, I basically just said that my image doesn't matter. It's not a purpose or, or something that's there. It's crazy what, what, when you begin to think about some of that stuff, but it's an idea that you might have to do. It's something that might have to happen if you're so obsessed with what's in that mirror. But other people can see things differently inside of us. And so sometimes people need to come up and say, hey, man, like the way that you address that, that, that wasn't good. Like we all kind of took it the wrong way. And maybe that person is completely innocent or, or, or just did not know what they were doing about it. But it's, it's brotherly love that says, man, there's something that, that just didn't seem right about this. And, and maybe we should address it and do it a complete different way. I, I've had to do it in other places on social media that somebody throws up a photo and, and they think it's you know, completely innocent and that sort of thing and, and, and not realizing that it has actually impacted quite a few people because of what was maybe in the photo or those things around them. And, and it truly was an innocent photo, but it's like, well, you, you got to be careful what you're putting on there because it might cause my brother or my sister to stumble or fall and, and that sort of thing. I'm not doing it out of meanness or out of hatred or anything, and I don't believe that any of that comes across this pulpit in this church. It's all for love. Like, let's, let's see what's in the scripture and let's go after it in Jesus' name. And so we have to have this fellowship with one another and there's purposes. And it says that the church grew as the disciples loved and fellowship with one another. The church grew as they fellowship with one another. And it was through a combination of meeting in the temple and from house to house that the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. They didn't just have wonderful services and say, hey, let's just bring in as many people as we can to our services. But they said, let's start meeting in people's houses. Let's start reaching out to people. Let's start teaching Bible studies. Let's start inviting people. Let's go to the Primrose. We had that meeting on, on Sunday and, and that sort of stuff. I mean, let's go into these places where these people are at and let's begin to tell them about Jesus. Or maybe not even that, but let's show them the love of Jesus. And then if they feel the love of Jesus in his presence, then we can begin to talk about Jesus and who he is. It can be pretty, pretty cool when we begin to think about this. In the summertime, we have many people in here that can grill an incredible meal. But what if you had a block party and you said, hey, neighbors, everybody come over. I'm grilling up some meat tonight. You can come over and hang out and that, that sort of stuff. I just want to serve you a free meal um, just once through the entire summer, and, and, and we'll just see what, what happens. You just invite people over. You don't tell them that there's any gospel or anything like that, but you just invite people over and show them the love of Jesus. You walk up and shake their hand and ask them how their week was going and, and what's going on inside of their lives. And some of them will begin to be taken back like, man, somebody's interested in me. Somebody's willing to, to give me a meal. But you, you wouldn't believe the doors that that begins to open inside of some people's lives. And so like the disciples, like the apostles, we can be people who not only meet in here, but we begin to meet out there. 
And, and, and out there, we don't necessarily need to be inviting just one another, but man, let's invite people around us, the people who haven't experienced Jesus in some ways that we have in Jesus' name. And so you can see this, this question here. You can think about this yourself because I, I kind of already gave it away, I guess. But how does fellowship facilitate the growth of the church? How does fellowship facilitate the growth? And it's quite simple, that if you're showing people that love, they're going to want it more going to need to experience it more and desire a Bible study. And so it goes on to say this on the screen. It says, a further manner in which we love other disciples is sacrificing to help them. True loving disciples see needs and they do all that they can to meet those needs. This is not limited to only those with abundant resources. All disciples are called to show the love through giving. The principle of love is beautifully demonstrated in the Macedonian church's response to the need of the Jerusalem church. Paul said this. He said, How that in great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded unto the riches of their liberty. In other words, in spite of being very poor, they were very generous in helping fellow disciples. As modern-day disciples, we must strive to be generous regardless of our economic status. We must strive to be generous to people around us. I think it was Brother Gleason who was just at the district conference, and he, uh, he was addressing a bunch of ministers there, and he said, don't be a cheap preacher. He was telling us, don't be a cheap preacher. But he said, man, if you're out there with somebody for lunch, Offer to buy them a lunch or, or, or something like that. If you're, if you're fellowshipping with somebody, offer to pay for a meal. Uh, you know, there's easy ways that you, you can go around that. I know we think, well, man, it just doubles the price. And, uh, you know, I got a family and all these sort of things and all that. But, but you, you can't be thinking about that stuff. You got to put it aside sometimes. When God says, man, this is a person that, that I want you to speak to and reach, you know, one way that you can truly begin to show them love is just paying for a meal. And, and you wouldn't believe how far that will truly go with some people, how incredible that, that could be inside of their life and, 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 and that sort of thing. You don't have to go and flaunt money around and make people think you're rich. That's not what this is about, but it's just saying, man, I'm willing to be generous towards you and courteous towards what's going on. But not only that, but when we see a need, we desire to go and meet it. We call the resources that we have. We reach out to those things around us that we can use to help somebody else in Jesus' name. And I'm thankful this church is a a very giving church, and you all do an incredible job of this already, and so this is more of just a reminder for, for many of you. But, uh, you know, I, I see it in our community. I see how people just love being around some of you all and, and just enjoy your presence, and that is an incredible thing, an incredible thing when we think about it in Jesus' name. So let, let me ask you this question, and, and we'll take some responses back. But how is America's consumerism culture made loving others with financial support more difficult? How has America's consumerism made loving others with financial support more difficult? How do you think on that? Yeah. Yeah. Try to keep up with one another. Yeah. so we're all guilty of wasting some funds for sure anybody else I mean it's it's incredible when you begin to think about it I I, uh, I thought of this question before service tonight that if we could pay people a hundred bucks and that hundred bucks would guarantee 
that they were going to come into church, be baptized, receive the Holy Ghost, and go to heaven with us, would be, be willing to just say, man, here's a hundred bucks, here's a hundred bucks, here's a hundred bucks, like coming to the church. W- what if that truly is all that it takes, though, for somebody? Taking them to a meal ten times, ten bucks a meal, hundred bucks or whatever, and that's the thing that shows them enough love to get them into the church. I, I don't know, it's just some questions that we have to ask ourselves. And I'm not saying to go and dump your bank account out and all that sort of stuff and not having a savings plan because that's foolishness as well and that sort of thing. But what I'm saying is like, man, there, there are times that we've got to be willing to trust in God and trust that he is giving us our finances and we can be willing to, to offer those to some other people as well in Jesus' name because we want people to be saved and we want to see that in our world around us in Jesus' name. And so... He, he, Paul brought that, that scripture up. So loving other disciples, it includes spiritually challenging each other. Loving other disciples includes spiritually challenging each others. Many disciples feel that they should mind their own business when it comes to spiritual struggles of others. And this, however, is not biblical. Now, I want to clarify in this, I am not talking about somebody who first comes into the church to experience God, and it's their first service ever, and we go and we confront them about not raising their hands inside of that service. That's not what I'm talking about, brotherly love here. I'm talking about those of us who have been in the church long enough, we know when we understand things, we, 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 we know when, when people are beginning to grow up and overcome things, and we begin to tell each other, like, hey, man, this thing wasn't right, or I saw that you missed this many services, and I wish you were in church. What's going on with your life? And I wish that we could help you with this and that sort of thing. It's speaking this love to one another. And so if we, as disciples, decide that we just want to mind our own business, it is not biblical for us to not speak to others or to try to help them through the struggles that they are going through. And we can do that in a loving way, in a a very kind way. We don't have to do it just very blunt and abrupt, but... We must be uh, in this thing scripturally in Jesus' name. So I'll show you some scripture on this. And it says this in Hebrews 3 and 13. It says, Exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. Exhort one another daily is what it's saying there. That means be a part of each other's lives daily. Link up with somebody. Be a part of them. If you know that they're, they're having a major surgery today, man, be a part of them. Text them. Say, hey, you, you can get through this. We'll work through this. Or if you know that they're struggling with some sort of an, an addiction or, or some sin or some things inside of their lives, be there to t- constantly send a text message or receive a phone call from them to show that you love them and that you will encourage them and that they will be able to overcome this and they will be able to win this battle and fight it in Jesus' name. We can do that through brotherly love to one another. And so that's what the scripture is saying, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. Because the more we miss, the more we decide to push away from our brothers and our sisters, the, the closer we come to letting ourselves be hardened between us and God. And we begin to say, well, sin is sin, and we might as well just go into it and be good with it and that sort of thing. It's a dangerous territory when we begin to push away the help and the love of our brothers around us. And so the scripture also says this, that we are indeed one another's keeper. We are indeed our, or our, our brother's keeper. And when you see this in the scripture, again, it's beginning to say that, man, I have an obligation to come beside you and pick you up if I see that you're down. I have an obligation to come and knock on your door if I see that you haven't been here for a while. I have an obligation to send you a text message if you haven't been here for a while. And not just from this platform and the pastoral team, but as brothers, we have that obligation to be reaching out to one another. As sisters, we have that obligation to be there reaching to one another. And in fact, the Galatian church was given explicit instruction on what to do when a fellow disciple was overcome by sin. Those who were spiritual were to proactively restore them in a spirit of meekness or humbleness or or being down to earth. And you can see this in Galatians chapter 6 and verse 1. True disciples look out for other disciples and have tough conversations when needed. And it is what love does. It has tough conversations when it truly needs to be there. 
You can see why love isn't just an emotional thing. Because if it was, man, it would be butterflies. And you guys saw me do my little dance across the front here. And I know there's a video still out there that you all have of me where I'm, I'm dancing back and forth and describing what we sometimes think love as is butterflies and skipping and hopping through the flowers and that sort of stuff. But that's not all that love is because it's not based upon emotion. But when love is based upon doing, then that's when this begins to come in here, that sometimes we've got to have tough love and say enough is enough. You don't need any more of this inside of your life. And, I, and we can be direct with one another. And, and, and I'm, I have been that way with some people, and some accept it very well, and some don't. But the reason that we do it is because God has asked us to be a part of that. And God has asked us to be a part of speaking to those people around us. And if we do it in meekness, like the Scripture says, and we do it the right way, then we can know and no matter what happens as a result of that, we know that it was God. And if people have an issue with that, it's not going to be with us, but they need to take that up with God and who he is in Jesus' name. Apostolic churches like this sometimes get that sense that, man, you, you, there's no beating around the bush here. That, man, it's direct and it's to the point and it's there. But it's because there's a scriptural mandate to not just let something slide. And, and to not just let things pass us by and say, well, I guess we'll address that one tomorrow and that sort of thing. But no, the things that are inside of the Bible that are truth, that are real, that are there, it's a mandate that we challenge one another with those things, that we are our brother's keepers. And, and not only that, but from this platform, whatever is spoken, we, we have to stand before God and answer God for the souls that were inside of this church. You understand the burden that's on our pastor, that he has to stand before God and give an account of what happened for every single soul that was inside of this church that, that's a burden that's a heavy thing to carry if you think about what he has to do in front of God to say those things and, and I don't know about you all but I wouldn't want to be standing there saying well God you told me to address him with this but I decided to not do that and as a result they ended up falling off the cliff I, I don't want to be in that place but I want to say God I gave the message it was there it was handed and man God you know they decided not to but I tried and I tried again God and I knocked again and I, I tried to, to, to knock on that door again God but it just didn't work and it just wasn't there and, and that sort of thing. I'd rather have that conversation so much more so than saying, man, I wasn't my brother's keeper. And so we can begin to see when we step into leadership, when we're in an apostolic church, when we're in these places, love, <coughs> excuse me, is going to be tough sometimes. And so to be a disciple is not only to love one another, but it's to love the unsaved, those people who have not experienced Jesus. And so we can ask ourselves this question, and, and I'm just going to read it here. But why do we tend to withdraw rather than drawing near when we see other disciples backsliding? And that's a question you can ask yourself, maybe consider it, write it down inside of your book. But why do we tend to withdraw? We want to love the unsaved. A disciple must never lose sight of the plight of the unsaved. Death and eternal punishment says this in Scripture, that all have sinned and all have come short of the glory of God. It's not just about being a good person. That's probably not going to cut it. I'm not here to be judged and to say what God is going to accept and what God is not going to accept. But I know that there is an entire world out there that is lost and that need to see the love of Christ. And it is our responsibility as disciples to model the love of Christ. Because does anybody remember how they know that we are Christian? You're loved one to another, right? Yeah, the brother right here just said that. How do they know that we are the Christian? How do we know, or how do they know that we're serving the one true God? Because they will see our love one to another, and we can make that abroad. We can be in the community. We can go in the restaurant and sit down and have dinner and be super kind to the waitress there and give her an incredible tip and, and that sort of thing. Even if she completely destroys the meal and messes it up and gives us the completely wrong drink, let's not bash her, but let's say, ma'am, you know what? You, you did a, a good job. Here's a, a tip. Let, let's still be willing to give those things. Let's still be willing to show compassion and love to people around us in Jesus' name, instead of thinking that we're, we're some big shot and we have that right and that ability to go around judging people and saying those things. But no, let's not be that way, but let's have compassion and love and, and desire to see those lost souls reached with the love of Jesus Christ. And so it says this, that the greatest act of love is using all means to reach the lost. Jude urged a broad approach 
to reaching the lost. He said, keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. And he continued, and this part is in the PowerPoint here. It says this, keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our, or, yeah, of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. And it goes on here to say, and of some have compassion, making a difference. And others, save with fear, pulling them out of fire, hating even the garment spotted by the flesh. This scripture here really, I, I think, is interesting because it says, of some have compassion, making a difference. That there's some that you're meant to go up to and smile and be super kind to and that, that sort of thing. Even in this midst, that that's what it's meant to be. But then it kind of takes a different turn here and it says, of some, save with fear. That there's some that, man, you're, you're going to have to walk up to and maybe shake a little bit. And, and you're going to have to let God lead you on this one because you don't want to do it to everybody. Otherwise, you're going to scare people away from the church. But there's some that you might have to be a little blunt with, that if they're dancing around this thing, you've got to say, man, you're making a deadly decision here, that either you're going one direction or you're going the other direction when you decide to die and pass away. And I want you to be going towards the one with beautiful clouds and a God that is amazing and all that sort of stuff. I don't want you to be going down this other path. Sometimes we've got to be a little bit more abrupt. But again, the scripture here is talking about tough love and having love for the people around us in Jesus' name. And so it says this again, that by whatever means, loving the unsaved means pro being proactive and intentional in the things that we are doing. Proactive and intentional in the things we're doing. Again, I've said it many times, and Mark Johnson, this has came from him, but you don't know the power or the meaning of just a five-minute conversation with somebody. Just a five-minute conversation with somebody, we don't understand how changing, life-changing that can be to somebody or how incredible that can be when we decide to step out and reach out to them in Jesus' name. It says this, loving disciples understand that they are born again and that we are empowered to be witnesses. It's a pretty cool thing when you begin to think about it, that we come into the church we get delivered from many different things. We're baptized in Jesus' name, received the gift of the Holy Ghost. You know, in all reality, we begin to, we, we don't get to this place where we're perfect, but we get to a place where maybe our life is a little bit more steady, uh, you know, and, and it's still climbing. We're still doing work to get closer to God, and we still want to get to that place. But when the power of the Holy Ghost comes in and takes care of all those, those things that were deep down bad and, and all those, those sins and things inside of our life, and those are all taken care of, and now we're kind of on that good plateau where we're, we're getting closer and closer to God, you know, and, and, and we're, we're just developing our, those, those, those parts of our lives, like prayer and Bible reading, just making those more permanent and, and more potential inside of our life. When we get to that point, and we no longer have to worry about all these huge things that were once bogging us down so much, now the power of the Holy Ghost inside of us is meant to be used to begin to reach out to other people around us. To say, man, you know what? God completely delivered me. Now it's time to begin to let this Holy Ghost flow like rivers of living water so that I can lay hands on somebody else and see them delivered in Jesus' name. Now it's time that God has given me this power to not just affect myself and I'm not just going to the prayer room and praying about myself and I'm not just coming down to the altar to pray about myself and these things, but man, I'm coming to these places because there's lost souls around me and I know that the only way that I'm going to reach them or have the power or the strength to reach some of them is through the power of the Holy Ghost and I know that the only way that I'm going to be able to speak what needs to be spoken inside of a Bible study is through the power of the Holy Ghost and not all the... The, the, how, how much uh, you know, I'm able to pack inside of my brain, but it's coming through the anointing of the Holy Ghost. You see how cool that is when we begin to witness to people, that it's not just God saying, here, go out there on your own and have fun with this and struggle with it and that sort of thing like many of us do. But he says, man, I'm going to fill you with the Holy Ghost so that you have power and the ability to be witnesses inside of this world. It's so cool when God begins to do those things through us that he doesn't just kick us out there and say, hey, let this happen here. And so we understand that these things have to happen. You shall receive power, and I didn't even put it on the screen. It says, you shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem, in all Judea, in all Samaria, Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. He's not sitting here saying, man, you should receive the Holy Ghost so that you can deliver yourself every day and that sort of thing. Although we do need to repent every day and, and have a purpose in that. But he's not saying, man, you're not receiving the Holy Ghost so that you can just make yourself absolutely perfect in my sight and that sort of stuff. Although that's part of it. 
But he's saying here, a big part of you receiving the Holy Ghost is so that you have the power and the ability to go out there and show the love of Jesus Christ. Because I don't know about you all, but no matter how hard somebody tries out there to, to get somebody to be free from cancer and that sort of stuff, they're not going to do it by their own admonition or the things that they create and that sort of stuff. But the only way to do that is, man, to lay hands and, and see the power of God flow through us. The only way to have somebody speak in other tongues is to have the gift of the Holy Ghost unless somebody wants to make it up and go down some other way. I mean, there's, there's things, there's power, there's ability that comes from being a disciple in Jesus Christ. And so I found this really interesting. It says this, when a disciple loses focus on his or her purpose, frustration ensues. In Max Lucado's book, In the Eye of the Storm, he tells the story of a fishing trip with his dad and a friend. Due to an unforeseen storm, they were all confined into a camper playing games, sleeping, and eating. And it was okay for a while, but eventually they started getting at each other's nerves and bickering. This led him to the conclusion that when fishermen don't fish, they fight. When fishermen don't fish, they fight. And I don't know about you all, but Jesus refers to us all as fishermen. Whether you like fishing or not, you're a fisher of men. That's what Jesus has, has tried to pull all of us into, that you're meant to go out there and to change lives and be a part of this and have a purpose inside of it. And how are we going to do it? Through the love that he has given to us. And so this goes on to say this, that to be a disciple of Jesus, it's to love our enemies. There's another purpose inside of these things. I'm not saying you have to love Satan because we absolutely want to kick him in the face and put him back where he came from. That you can have a hatred towards him as much as you want. But towards your fellow brother and sister, we better not have those same thoughts. We've got to love our enemies, the people who are around us in Jesus' name. Loving fellow disciples is relatively easy. It's loving one's enemies that is ultimately hard. Difficult and unlovable people are scattered throughout our lives. They really begin to wrench on your heart when you begin to think about maybe the shoes that they have walked in. In our humanity, we tend to love based on merit. God, however, loves based on need. He loves based on need. That begins to change how we love people, doesn't it? That, man, I want to love them based on their need. You begin to think, man, how tough would it be to walk every day hating the people around you and not having a good day? I mean, just to know how lonely that would be and say, man, I just want to show a little bit of love. I want to show a little bit of the love of God in this person's life. Even if they've said some mean things to me, man, to be in that state is, is no good for any human being. But man, I want to show them the love of God. And scripture says that true love, it endures all things. That is in these places, that it endures all these things. Even those bad, mean things that people say to us sometimes, love is meant to endure that. And we have seen that God has shown us that, that he has done that. And so hurting people hurt people. This is a phrase that we've heard many times. Thus, we should not be surprised that beneath a hurtful behavior are wounds and a pain that desperately needs Christ-like responses of love. Jesus painted a difficult yet beautiful picture of a disciple when he said, Love your enemies, that ye may be the children of your Father which is in heaven. Love your enemies. And you, you can see this in children, that even though sometimes people hurt them, I mean, man, they can forgive in just a second and be best friends the next day. It's crazy how these things can happen. And what if we did that towards one another as humankind? What if we did that towards one another and the people that are inside of this world? Some of the, the best churchgoers that, that I found in my, my, my school career were the ones who I, I put a finger on and I said they will absolutely never attend church. They will never have a part of us. They're mean. They're, they're horrible people. They're terrible that sort of stuff, and then yet those are the ones that God grabs a hold of their life and completely flips it and changes it about. And I mean, I could give you testimony of testimony about that. And the ones that I would have said, yeah, this person for sure, are the ones that end up walking away from it eventually. You see that God makes his love available to all people, and it's incredible when God begins to get a hold of somebody's life in Jesus' name. It's just so cool when we begin to think about that. And so, we can ask our question, ourselves this question as well, of how should disciples respond to sinful behaviors of sinners, especially when acted out against them? 
How should we respond to that inside of our lives? That's an answer you can come up with yourself, but how do you want to respond to people saying hurtful things to you? How do you want to respond to the, these hurting people beginning to try to tear you down and, and that sort of thing? Sometimes it's so easy to respond with sarcasm, and, and I can be a sarcastic person, and believe me, when somebody says something, I can usually turn it on a dime and throw it right back at them and, and make it ten times worse and that sort of stuff. But I have to be careful with that because, man, sometimes when somebody says something negative to me, I want to just spin it off and say it right back at them and, and, and completely twist this thing and have all your friends around you just be like, oh, that was bad and, you know, like that sort of stuff. I, I mean, that's, that's our community. That's my age group that I'm involved with, that sort of stuff. But truly, I mean, we want to show love for one another. And what, what happens when, when they're like, man, you're going to show them love in the midst of that? You begin to show Jesus Christ. Again, I want to show that I'm a Christian. I'm going to show that through loving other people. And so last but not least, well, it says this, the beautiful yet difficult expression of Christian love is to love the seemingly unlovable. It's difficult, but we must love the unlovable out there in this world. And to be a disciple of Jesus is to love your family. Marriage is God's example of his love and his relationship with the church. This truth is outlined in Ephesians chapter 5. It says that wives, in reflecting the church's submission to God, are to show a love that willingly places themselves under the headship of their husbands. And husbands are to love a, with a Christ-like sacrificial love. It is a mutually beneficial and giving relationship to one another. In his book, Emotionally Healthy Spiritually, Peter Scazzario presents an unhealthy approach to, living, or to, to loving peacemaking. Carl is upset about his behavior of his spouse who constantly comes home late after work. He says nothing. Why? Because he thinks he is being Christ-like by not saying anything, although he does give her a cold shoulder, and he is a false peacemaker. Love in a marriage relationship includes the ability to not behave unseemingly while speaking the truth in love. Love also flows between parents and their children. Children love by obeying and honor their parents, and parents love by sacrificing and prioritizing raising their children in the commandments of the Lord. So again, you can see how deadly that could be inside of a relationship when something, when we don't speak something that needs to be communicated and it begins to blossom into something that's huge later on. So it is not necessarily godly to not say anything or just decide to hold our tongue, although sometimes we need to hold our tongue and that's scriptural too. However, there are times that we do need to be honest and communicate with one another and show that, that love of God not only to one another, but to our families, to the people around us. And what's the best way that we can demonstrate love? It's to our children. And by showing them that we can love one another, uh, one another, especially in this world where divorce is so rampant and things are going on, if we can show our younger generation that, man, marriage is something that's meant to be good according to God. Marriage is something to, that's meant to show love. It's meant to be something that's meant to be powerful in, in these things. If we show it that way and we demonstrate it to our children, then we can begin to change some of these things around and show them that it's not as bad as what the world wants to make these things to be. In Jesus' name. we got to fight back against this. We truly do. And the way we're going to do it is by doing things that the world thinks is completely out there and completely off the mind and, 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 and thinks is absolutely crazy. And the way we do it is by looking at the Scripture and seeing that love is the way to address many of these stories in Jesus' name. I'm going to finish tonight by reading this, this last little paragraph. It says this, that the story of Rick and Dick Hoyt is a beautiful picture of sacrificial love. As a result of oxygen deprivation to Rick's brain at the time of his birth, Rick was diagnosed as a spastic quadriplegic with cerebral palsy. His parents, Dick and Judy, were advised to institutionalize Rick because there was no chance of him recovering and little hope for Rick to live a normal life. But this was just the beginning of Dick and Judy's quest for Rick's inclusion in the community sports, education, and one day the workplace. The story of sacrificial love escalated significantly in the spring of 1977. Rick told his father that he wanted to participate in a five-mile benefit run for a lacrosse player who had been paralyzed in an accident. 
Far from being a long-distance long runner, Dick agreed to push Rick in his wheelchair, and they finished all five miles, coming in next to last. That night, Rick told his father, Dad, when I'm running, it feels like I am not handicapped. This realization was just the beginning of what would become over 1,000 races completed, including marathons and triathlons, six of them being the Ironman competitions. Also adding to their, their list of achievements, Dick and Rick biked and ran across the United States in 1992, completing a full 3,735 miles in 45 days. Although Dick's exhibit, ex exhibition of love is demonstrated through physical exertion, it is, it is a beautiful example of love not seeking her own and enduring all things. In whatever relationship challenge we find ourselves, the sacrificial characteristics of love will shine through in the life of true disciples. And we can do this in so many different ways in Jesus' name. If we could stand tonight, I think God has done some wonderful things here and given us many more ideas of how we can love people around us. And I think we can all grow in these areas in Jesus' name. Let's just lift our hands and let these things settle in tonight.